welcome to Artist Materialist. I'm Susanna, an artist and graphic designer. I'm Dan, a material scientist. And today we are discussing an article from Fast Company titled Meet Loop, the new zero waste platform for consumer products by Adele Peters. Now, what initially drew my eye to this particular article was that I'm very interested in reducing waste, reducing packaging waste, especially since we discussed plastic pollution recently. And since plastic pollution has become such a huge problem that people are talking about. So I thought this seemed like an unusual way to address that. And as it describes, it's kind of in going back to an older model of the milkman delivery where you get a durable container delivered and then you return yes, it. I guess the modern equivalent would be sort of the giant water bottles or propane tanks since we don't get milk delivered anymore. It's not a crazy idea. It's something that people are sort of familiar with. It's just the idea of expanding the reusable, refillable package to everything or to a lot of food products and household cleaning products is kind of different. And I think that's actually some of the best ideas where you take something that people are already familiar with, groceries on the one hand and refillable, reusable packages on the other, and then manage to meld them in a way that is new. And I think one of the things that they really emphasize in here is that this isn't a startup that is making its own shampoo that they'll have to you know, market to people who are very interested in this. The idea is that it's the large brands that people are, are already using, and that's, that's what they're Yes, I was very impressed by the list of companies that they've managed to get on board with this. They've got what it says, Nestle, Coca-Cola, Unilever, Procter & Gamble. I mean, Procter & Gamble, Unilever alone, you've got half the grocery store right there. So if, if those are buying into this, I think that it has a chance. This service has apparently just launched in New York City and Paris as a as test markets to see if people will use the home delivery aspect of it where UPS will, they're also working with UPS. So UPS will drop off the loot box with your groceries in it. You'll use them and then you'll just put the packages back in the loot box and call UPS to pick it back up and refill it if you want. That seems like a, a very important point was this special box developed with UPS that's sort of their own branded reusable shipping container. Yes. And uh, I was discussing this concept with a friend of mine yesterday. And while I still buy most of my groceries, you know, I drive to the grocery store and pick them out. She was saying that her sister in upstate New York is very busy and doesn't have time to go to Sam's club or Costco. And so when she needs non-perishable things like paper towels or cleaning products, she just orders them online and has them delivered. And from what I can tell, it seems like there are a lot of people who are doing that or more and more people are doing that now. Um, 
Amazon has even come out with their little grocery button. I don't know if people are still using that, but the button that you can push to automatically order a refill on whatever it is that you need a refill on and have it delivered. So I think well, people might be ready. Do you think people might be ready for the idea of having everything delivered? Well, it, it's been that way for quite a while in more urban areas. And I think that's an important part of this is it works better if you have a very dense route that that is covered. So in certain areas, including the one I'm in, you can order groceries on Amazon and have them delivered. You can do that in, in other cities with other companies. It was something that goes back to the one of the very first internet delivery companies it was called Cosmo in Boston. That one, you knew it was going to be bankrupt because it was too good a deal. You basically could buy anything with almost no markup. It was like a $3 delivery fee and you could just order something and it would show up. So people were ordering, you know, they'd order a burrito, they'd order a bottle of water and they just, order it through Cosmo and it would show up. And of course they were losing money on every order because sending some person to go buy it at a store and then bring it over to you. Yeah. I heard about Cosmo. It was maybe a little ahead of its time and clearly did not have the best business model. I think some of the modern internet businesses that are successful owe their success to those early businesses that failed so spectacularly. Right, they worked out the kinks. You know, com had to die so that Chewy could live. Right. <laughs> that was the I, one where I, they were delivering giant containers of pet food, right? Uh, Chewy is. Pets was just uh, generalized. It was PetSmart online. And they advertised on the Super Bowl and then did not stick around. Whereas Chewy got to be very popular and it, it's, some, it's a service that I use. And they got bought up. I think buy PetSmart for a lot of money. So, <laughs> Chewy. <laughs> so, so Chewy became very successful and got bought up for a lot of money by, I think, PetSmart. But of course, that is using a lot of cardboard boxes to ship things in, which is kind of what Loop is trying to get away from. Yes. Um, I read recently that cardboard is one of the most recycled items now because so many things are being ordered online now and because a lot of packaging has tried to switch from plastic to cardboard now we're sort of being inundated with cardboard this cardboard so i, I looked into it a bit more about what's happening with cardboard especially um and we can discuss this further also is with the uh, change in China regarding accepting recyclables. Yes, I've been wondering about that. And actually what I was just going to ask you was, what do you know about cardboard recycling? Because you seem to know a lot about recycling. I know plastics especially, you studied that more. But what, well, I, what did you learn about cardboard? So I, I, I just looked in preparation for this discussion and when China said that they weren't going to accept a lot of recycling anymore, the price of the highest grade of cardboard dropped from about $180 a ton to $140 a ton. But what was much more dramatic is for 
generic grade, your sort of mixed paper recyclables, that dropped from $50 to $10. Wow. So your mixed paper recycling is just the, that market is in the tank and a, a sort of PSA reminder is that the level of acceptable contamination is 0.5%. So when in doubt, throw it out. Don't try to recycle everything. You're just going to more likely contaminate the whole batch. Wow. And what was especially interesting was the discussion about how move to shipping has changed the cardboard recycling profile because when everything was being shipped in large boxes to the stores, all of those cardboard boxes are very easily put together because it's, you know, somebody's job is to bail all this cardboard together that can be sold by the, the store. And so they do that at a really high rate, like 90%. Whereas when you ship it to somebody's house, if they're not used to recycling or maybe they don't have easy recycling nearby, or maybe the cardboard boxes are too big to fit the container they have, that rate of recycling is really low less than 10%, but it's rising fast. That's very interesting to hear about. I mean, I know that's something that we have struggled with. I made the mistake when our county rolled out new recycling containers. You could request a large one or a medium-sized one, and I don't know what I was thinking, but I requested a medium size, and <laughs> it is always, always overflowing. Um, I mean, we never fill up the garbage container but the recycling one is always overflowing and a lot of it is cardboard. And what I end up doing is about once a week, I have to take an extra load down to the recycling center, just drive it down there when mm -hmm. I'm going that way. Anything that's a large box that won't fit in the bin, anything that's just overflow has to be driven out there. And it is a bit of an effort. And I know a lot of people just won't make that effort. Right. And apparently in this, these same set of articles, it talked about how, you know, the, the big shipper of things, Amazon has changed the way they box things. They've reduced the number of boxes by something like 500 million just by not necessarily shipping things in some kind of glossy box that you would get on a shelf because it, it's not going to go through that step. So if they're going to ship a lot of them, they can ship something in a more plain package that requires fewer layers, layers of box. That makes sense. Do you remember in the early days of Amazon when people used to post pictures of how they would order like a stapler or a box of pens and it would come in a giant, giant package? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was another thing it, it talked about was uh, it mentioned Walmart, which is doing a lot more e-commerce these days and they've been rolling out more sizes of box so that they aren't wasting as much space. Now it seems like a lot of these large companies are really investing in reducing packaging and I can understand it. It reduces their costs if they don't have to spend as much on packaging. It's worth it for them. It's also good PR for them. And if they want to do something that's good for the planet and good for them, I'm all behind it. <laughs> yeah. But even now, this is another thing I 
discovered was that now recycled paper products are more expensive than non-recycled paper products. It's not a huge difference. It's maybe 10%, but that's, it is still more expensive to do the recycled paper. One idea that I keep going back to, and I don't know how practical this is, but I think because of the internet, we can have manufacturing more decentralized now. I, lots of things can be more decentralized. It's not necessary to have information and production all in these big central places because communication can be distributed. And I wonder how practical it would be to, instead of having one massive paper recycling facility, maybe for three states, to have a bunch of smaller paper recycling facilities maybe using 3D printing technology or maybe just making one very basic type of cardboard, but to have the recycling collection closer to a smaller paper production so that maybe people could drop off their recycling and buy paper products in the same place. I don't know. It's just, I just keep thinking there's got to be a way to get the recycling and the use of recycled products closer together. I think it would make sense to have the place where you drop off recyclables to be associated with a place that processes and creates stuff from them. So I was originally thinking of it for glass, for example, if because glass is such a difficult thing to recycle, um, it's mm -hmm. energy-wise, it's not efficient, but if you could have like a, on a county level, a local machine where people drop in their glass and the small processing thing melts it, cleans it and spits out new bottles. I mean, I, I just think that that would be more efficient than having to take them all to a giant place far away to be turned into something new. And I don't know if, that, if, if that's a model that would work with cardboard, but. Well, they, I mean, so there, there are regional, regional cardboard manufacturers and it, I guess they're running at capacity but not beyond capacity and I think that uh, this is this goes into one of the, the questions I kind of had about this recycle the the loop model with the reusable containers is there's the energy that goes into making the containers so the energy that goes into moving things around yes I was going to say it addresses that in the um, Fast Company article. They say that they have determined that it's still worth it. That was it. Well, they said the major environmental cost of a product is its creation, making it for the first time. And um, they said the cost, environmental cost of shipping and cleaning is um, better than the cost of remanufacturing. Of course, it matters somewhat what it is that you're manufacturing. So there are things that are, you know, more energy and, and materials intensive to make at the front end and some harder to clean. And so it's probably different for everything. Uh, and I, I think one of the real questions I had, the, the example in here of diapers where you would ship back the dirty diapers for recycling. And I, thought that was a hygiene nightmare. And I can't imagine UPS or anybody 
shipment of dirty diapers. That just seemed ridiculous. Well, they already have diaper services where people, those are usually for cloth diapers now, and they drop off diapers and with a special diaper pail, you use them, put them back in the pail, and then the diaper service picks them up and goes and launders them and brings them back. But that's clean. For service, they don't have anything but diapers. They're not also, they don't also have people's meal delivery service in the back of the same truck. Yeah, I, I was a little <laughs> skeptical about the, the disposable diapers as well. I, I don't know that diapers really fit into this model quite so well. And, and I suspect that after they've tried it out, they might discover that that is one thing they're not going to offer. <laughs> so we'll see. A lot of this, the, the particular loop model, but to me it made sense that the large companies would want to get involved in this because this goes to the one thing that everybody wants to be in right now, which is in the business. True. It is a subscription business model for, for loop anyway, but well, and for, for the companies too, because if, if you are getting a shipment of, you know, whatever Procter and Gamble shampoo, you'll probably just get a refill of the same Procter and Gamble sh shampoo. And so it locked they have you as a, a customer for as long as you're doing that. That's a very good point. I didn't think about that. It mentions, elsewhere in the article that eventually they would like to get these products on store shelves with the different um, with the different packaging and have like loot boxes in grocery stores so that people can buy these in grocery stores and return them there. Um, I don't know how much that would eat into that business model. Yeah. Well, and that, and certainly once you get outside of a, a city center, it starts to make a lot less sense to send a, the UPS truck out multiple times a week, you know, down the country roads, delivering to every house. Everybody there is probably going to come into the local Walmart or whatever once a week at least. Well, in that case, they have, Loop seems to have found a way to do something that I've complained a lot of startups don't do, and that is serve both rural and urban customers. A lot of startups seem to have models that work in big cities and don't work at all outside of them. Right. They're, as as Kara Swisher puts it, assisted living for millennials. <laughs> One thing that originally got me interested in this idea of using less packaging was a blog I came across years ago called Zero Waste Home by a woman named B. Johnson. And she decided way back I want to say in the early 2000s, to try and get rid of all trash, just not generate trash in her house at all. Mom with two kids. And I was fascinated by her attempts to do this. But as I read her blog, I realized she lives, I want to say, either in or very close to New York City. And so it's a little bit easier for her to do this because she can get a lot of things that, you know, she doesn't have some of the, uh, some of the problems with that people who live in a more spread out area might have. She's able to find products, a, a greater variety of products that close to a city. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it seems like, uh, so I, you asked me to, to, to take a look and when I looked through one of the things I noticed, and I guess it looks like maybe she's from Europe and there's a lot about farmer's markets. And if you are in a 
large urban farmer's market, there are all sorts of products that you can packaging, or at least packaging that you see. And I think that seems like a big part of, of the way she does things. Yeah. And it's interesting. A lot of the stuff she advocated going to farmer's markets and buying in bulk and using less packaging has become more mainstream since she first started her blog. It's actually easier now to get items with less packaging. I ended up kind of going down a uh, alternative grocery store rabbit hole <laughs> reading this article. Um, there's a place, for example, in Brooklyn called The Fillery that is solely bulk. There's you, They have um, containers there, reusable containers, or you can bring your own. And everything is sold in bulk with no packaging. Hmm. I, I, one of the things I, looking at that, I, I don't know if it, it's been a trend at least since the 70s probably, but it makes me think about the level of consumer confidence we have to go into a place like that and trust that you will get what you pay for. Yeah, there's a, a level of consumer trust that kind of goes with buying goods in bulk that is maybe present in some communities and then for others, the idea of, of trusting some piece of food that you yourself take out of a sealed wrapper is, is a bridge too far. Yeah, I've come across that. And it's interesting because for me, I trust the stuff that's not in a wrapper more because I can see it. I can see the stuff in the bin. I can actually see what's there. And so I trust it more. But I've, I, I remember meeting a woman who said that she won't eat any homemade cookies because they're not in a package. She doesn't trust them. She doesn't know what's in them or where they came from or what they've touched or anything like that. And that's just such the antithesis of my experience, but I guess it's all mm -hmm. what you're used to. Yeah. One, and also I imagine if you have, for instance, a really severe allergy, you just might not, you know, if you go into a, a, a store with all these, you know, if somebody has put their, their nut hands all over the, the scoop or whatever. That's a very good point. Yes. Although it does say that, um, these bulk grocery article in the New York Times about these stores like this, there are several of them in Europe. They're becoming more popular there. And um, they highlighted one in Vancouver, Canada, that was a bulk grocery store that, again, you could just, for example, if you wanted to buy just one egg, you could, or you could buy a whole flat of eggs. And it's just the idea that we don't need to create extra packaging. One of the other things I, I noticed on the zero waste home blog was sort of the, it seems like her first principle was refuse. And I think as opposed to reuse, reduce, recycle was refuse. And that seemed like in some ways the most radical, but also uh, effect on how much stuff she got. Yes, and that was something that struck me early on because at the time I started reading this, I had just recently become a mother and uh, I was a little bit overwhelmed with all the junk pouring into my house. I mean, you know, when you have a kid who's in preschool, they bring home all this stuff. <laughs> There's 
you know, their drawings, their little worksheets that they did. They go to a birthday party and they bring home little crappy plastic junk and it just multiplies and they outgrow their clothes and they break things and it just all, it all builds up. And so her idea that, you know, your kids should just say to the other kids, no, thank you. We won't take the party favors is pretty radical. Yeah. That's that interesting that you focused on, I, on the, the kids stuff. Cause I, I thought maybe you certainly as a, uh, person in the software arena, have, you've gone to your share of, of software oh, yes. shows. And all those conferences, you get the lanyards, you get all the little stickers and doodads that they hand out. And yeah, all the um, conference swag. <laughs> and I am guilty of picking up conference swag, although I have become a lot more judicious of what I pick up now than I used to. I'll take the t-shirt, maybe a couple of stickers, but, um, or a magnet, but I will not, you know, take everything I can get my hands on. Like I, I did maybe in my early twenties when I was new to the world of conference freebies. Well, and that was the, the heyday of, of, of conference too. They were giving out all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And it's all just rotting in a drawer in my office now. <laughs> Going back to the original article. Oh, I thought that it was interesting how they had to create new packaging specifically for some of the products, like the ice cream container that kept ice cream cold longer, or the toothpaste tablets because it was too difficult to package squeeze toothpaste in a reusable container. I mean, there's, there's a reason the, the saying goes, you the toothpaste back in the tube. <laughs> yes. And just from a design point of view, the packaging photos that they have in the article are very attractive. I see one, I don't know exactly what it's supposed to be. I assume it's soap or body wash or something, but they look like little Bluetooth speakers. <laughs> yeah, it looks a, more like what you would find in a hotel, the installed soap dispensers in a, in a public restroom or a hotel. A friend of mine's son just started college and he's majoring in packaging design. Apparently that is a uh, hot major right now. And so it will be interesting to see if this is the kind of thing that he'll be working on more as opposed to creating a new kind of clamshell. So I thought that it was particularly timely also to be discussing this when news just came out this past week that um, some researchers in the Pyrenees have discovered plastic particulate matter that is carried through the air. And they're not sure where it's coming from, but just by putting out these collection receptacles to collect whatever debris and pollution was in the air, they got tons and tons of microplastics, the same as we find in the ocean. And that's kind of a scary thought that you might be breathing this in or having it pollute the environment that we're living in, not just what marine life's living in. So it seems that it's more important than ever to do something about plastic pollution. I've, I've been sitting on a, a maybe a, a sort of a, a counterfactual or sort of maybe a hot take that you could think of it as a bad 
plastic doesn't degrade, but on the other hand, that does mean that the carbon in the plastic is being sequestered. That is an interesting idea, huh? So when the plastic breaks down, though, I mean, into small pieces, if it doesn't degrade, but it does break down, does that let some of the carbon out? I mean, a little bit, but, you know, it's the same as, as any kind of other, you know, there's, at a certain level, you can think of it as, as part of the dirt. It's just a question of whether it's uniquely bad for us in some ways. And I, I think that, you know, probably the dust that swirls around, there's going to be, you know, the little degraded particles from the pyramids or something. And it's just that plastic, I guess, because it's lighter and because it's modern. And so we don't think of, we think of it as less natural than maybe um, the stones that a castle is built out of. We, we think of it differently. That's interesting. Uh, I'd have to look into that. I know that there are issues with certain um, chemicals that are used to soften plastics or treat plastics like the BPAs have deleterious effects on people's health and animals' health. But I don't know if that's necessarily, if that applies to all plastics. No, and, it, well, it, it certainly, each plastic is different as, as we discussed before. And so I, I think that yeah, some of them, there's, they're just not reactive. And that's one reason why they, they stick around so long. Well, it will be interesting to see over time whether we get used to the idea of having plastic dust everywhere, if it affects everything negatively or if it's mostly just non-reactive and maybe an eyesore or annoying, but not too bad. Uh, we'll have to see. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Artist Materialist. You can find us on the web at artistmaterialist.com. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you found it. And join us next time for a field guide to boxy, stumpy apartment buildings. <laughs>